This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of the Zoomer Week in Review, heard every Sunday at noon on Zoomer Radio. You're listening to the Zoomer Week in Review, brought to you by CARP, a new vision of aging. Support CARP with your membership today. Visit carp.ca. Good afternoon and welcome to the Zoomer Week in Review, all things Zoomer worldwide. I'm Libby Zneimer. Okay, right now I'm inside these Telegram groups markets of illegal weapons and military equipment. That's a clip from Follow the Money, a new Vision TV documentary that exposes the alliance between terror groups and organized crime. I speak with the filmmaker and... Imagine being deaf for more than a decade and then regaining your hearing. It happened to Bella Bathurst, and she's written a profound account of her experience in a new memoir. But first, here are your Zoomer headlines from around the world. You can now order your venti non-fat Americano misto at a Starbucks in Mexico City that is completely staffed by Zoomers. The company's first cafe, operated by people who are all over 50, just opened in a country where the elderly population is increasing fast. Starbucks plans to hire over 100 more older workers by the end of next year and says they'll get additional benefits and an adjusted work schedule to fit their needs. spend as much time outdoors as you used to? An Ipsos Reid survey finds that we are spending less time outside despite evidence that we are happier when we are in nature. Three quarters of respondents to the poll released by the Nature Conservancy of Canada said it is simply easier to spend time indoors and 66% confirmed they spend less time outdoors today than in their youth. A 92-year-old woman was buried in Nebraska two weeks ago with British military honours for a secret she held for decades. Jean Briggs Waters was one of 10,000 people, mostly women, who took part in the Allied effort to crack the German communications codes throughout the Second World War. Their work saved lives, but it was kept classified until the 70s. The top-secret program was the subject of the 2014 Oscar-winning film, The Imitation Game. Zoomer Chevy Chase says he's sober and ready to work. The 74-year-old comedian is one of the founding fathers of the iconic TV show Saturday Night Live. Chase has a reputation of being too difficult to work with. These days he lives in a small New York town waiting for scripts while his peers continue to work. He quit drinking 18 months ago and stars in a Netflix film, to be released next year about an older man who doesn't want to retire. I'm Libby Zneimer, and those are your Zoomer headlines from around the world. Pictures that one of the members of the groups uploaded of a suicide explosive belt. If I'm a buyer, I will just initiate the private conversation with the seller. 
That suicide belt will set you back $200. That's one of the shocking revelations in Follow the Money, a new documentary linking radical Islamic terror groups with organized crime. It exposes how jihadists fundraise on the dark web and how they make millions from human trafficking, drug dealing, and looted art and antiquities. I spoke with the filmmaker, Martin Himmel. I've been working on the use of the dark net and computers in general, the social media for a while, on how basically uh, terrorists and terrorist networks and the radical jihadi groups operate. One time, actually, in a previous documentary, we set up a team that actually uh, lured ISIS to try to recruit them via the Internet and via social media. So I've been delving into that, and actually, the chairman of uh, Zoomer Media Vision, Moses Neimer, came and said, hey, there must be a good connection between money and where it goes to finance this. Why don't you look into it? And that's how it all started. The premise of the whole documentary is that there is either an alliance between terrorist groups and organized crime and gangs, or uh, they kind of are one and the same. The terrorist groups, radical militias, are in the business of fighting and conquering territory for ideology. In order to do that, you need a lot of money to buy weapons. You need to pay salaries. Belonging to a militia is a very good way to make money in the Middle East when basically the economies of many of these places are destroyed. So you need money. And uh, they're not exactly going into the stock market or legitimate businesses. And they find ways of uh, leveraging their ability to make money. And the best way to leverage it is for instance, protection, and protection to organized crime groups that are dealing in drugs, that are dealing in smuggling goods, human trafficking. By offering protection to those organized groups, your money is going both ways, and the actual organized groups come back and actually sell them weapons. So it's a symbiosis. With bigger groups like Hezbollah, which is basically an army in Lebanon, a Shiite army allied with Iran and helping Syria, that, that involves billions and billions of dollars of uh, weaponry and people, and they are one of the biggest uh, distributors, mostly distributors, not producers, but distributors of cocaine and heroin around the world, and they've worked with many different uh, businessmen and groups to launder that money, including countries like Venezuela. So their main businesses are human trafficking, drug dealing, what else? Well, actually, one of the really big businesses, uh, it might be tapering off a bit now, but it's been a boom industry for seven years, is antiquity smuggling. It's valued in the, like over a billion dollars a year. Syria, Iraq are blessed with incredible antiquities that date back 2,000 years. Most of it has never been really touched because there were countries that had rulers maybe despotic rulers, but rulers, and there were laws and regulations, and archaeologists got licensed and, and discovered things. But once these countries collapsed and central rule disappeared, it was a free-for-all. And uh, what has transpired is, is that each militia, or even the Syrian army, or, or the Hezbollah militia, whoever controlled a certain area, dug into that area because it's full of antiquities, pulled them out, and sold them. Tell me what you found about how weapons are sold on the dark web. In the greater Syria area, there's always a need for all sorts of weapons. So our uh, hackers, we basically hacked into closed dark neck markets, markets that normal people can't get to because they're sealed up by all sorts of defense mechanisms and criminal gangs run it. But our hackers know how to get into that. So we got into these markets. You want to buy a suicide bombing vest? You get it. It's only cost a couple hundred dollars. You want to buy a cow missile, which can take down a building? Well, that's a couple of thousand. 
mortar shells are fifty, sixty dollars a shell. You can even buy a military grade jeep uh, that's armored for about eight hundred thousand dollars. Lots and lots of stuff for sale there, and the word's passed around. And basically, what it is is that merchants, with the collapse of the Syrian army, and don't forget the Americans left tons and tons of weaponry there when the Iraqi army collapsed. They basically grabbed what they could, merchants grabbed what they could, and stockpiled it, and basically selling it to the various militias. You also found that some charities are funding terrorist activities, including Canadian charities. Basically fund Muslim groups in Pakistan, Kashmir, near the border with India, which is a war zone, to fund those in need of help, etc., What they weren't carefully looking at and what maybe they didn't realize or did realize is up to interpretation. They said they didn't realize is that some of those groups that they were giving the money to in uh, Pakistan, in Kashmir, that do help people, were also working with uh, radical Islamic groups that are fighting the uh, Indians in Kashmir. We have endless bloody war there. And they could not prove that the money that went to the charity did not get to the militia that's allied with the charity. And because of that, they lost their status. And this does happen. As uh, some of our investigators point out, you, all, you know the money goes to a certain charity in Pakistan, Afghanistan, Somalia, but once it gets there, you know, it just goes. You don't know where it goes, and it often ends up in the hands of gunmen. What do you hope we'll take away from this? The current mechanisms to prevent terrorists from raising money and transferring it are so behind, are so arcane, are so out of date. And by the way, a lot of major sophisticated intelligence groups know this. They do know it. But the whole bureaucratic process of government, which moves slowly, is so behind the terrorists and so behind the criminal gangs that they basically, you know, banks are spending a fortune, billions and billions of dollars every year to report to governments to make sure their money is clean, that it's not going to money laundering, that it's not going to be used by terrorists and front companies. Basically, they can remove all those regulations. Long ago, the terrorist groups stopped using the banks. They got it. What they're using now are things like cryptocurrencies. Bitcoin was being used extensively. That's why you saw such a spike in the price. But since then, the authorities have caught on to Bitcoin. They can even hack Bitcoin and discredit it, and that's why you see such a drop in the price of it. And they move on to other currencies like Monero, Zcash. People have not even heard about that. But they have found very sophisticated ways with the Internet to create fake currencies. All these regulations have been put on banks. They're useless. They're totally useless. And uh, also we realized that, well, we thought that uh, ISIS has been destroyed in Iraq, a big victory. The certain terrorist groups have destroyed in Syria, a big victory. But it's like mercury. You try to pick up mercury, it will move to other places. It's all in the Sahara now, and those groups are making big money in the Sahara, and it's moved to other places. So basically the lesson from all this is that, uh, is that intelligence groups and police have to be way ahead and to be much more nimble to keep up with the very sophisticated tactics used by terrorists and criminal gangs if they want to stay ahead of it. And the other point is, you don't have to kill them all the time. What you really have to do is choke off their funding. And if you focus on choking off their funding, if they can't pay militiamen and can't buy weapons, they're not going to be as big a threat. That was filmmaker Martin Himmel. Follow the Money will air on our sister station, Vision TV, on Monday night at 9 p.m. I'm Libby Snymer, and this is the Zoomer Weekend Review. Coming up, a fascinating look into one woman's journey with hearing loss. You're listening to the Zoomer Weekend Review, brought to you by CARP, a new vision of aging. Support CARP with your membership today. Visit carp.ca. 
author Bella Bathurst lost her hearing in her 20s. 12 years later, she's able to hear again. The experience transformed her life, and she's written about it in a memoir called Sound, a memoir of hearing lost and found. You lost your hearing and then regained it. So when did you lose it and how? I had a couple of head injuries in my 20s, and after the second one, I started to lose my hearing really rapidly. So that was when I was about 27. And after that, I went to the audiologist and got fitted for a couple of hearing aids. And that was kind of it. I continued for about 12 years with my hearing kind of declining. And then in 2009, I was re-diagnosed that actually the head injuries had been a kind of red herring and actually it was a genetic condition called otosclerosis, which is one of the very few ear conditions at the moment which is operable and therefore it was possible to operate on the both ears and I got my hearing back. And that must have been amazing. Uh, You had a traumatic experience in a boat. Tell me about that. I go sailing with friends reasonably frequently and I had been sailing with him (laughs) trying to pretend that I was a better sailor than I was and trying to pretend that I was able to hear better than I actually could and I just wrote about that experience because it seemed like a really good way of illustrating when it's a really bad idea to pretend that you can hear better than you can. We ran into a bit of a gale and I couldn't hear the instructions that he was giving me very fully so I assumed that he was saying steer in the opposite direction the one we were actually supposed to be going. So I ended up steering the boat pretty much... mm, Well, I didn't quite overturn it, but not far off. You say it's a bad idea not to admit that you're not hearing properly. That's something that older people do all the time. I think there's a big psychological issue, really, with admitting that you have any kind of hearing problem at any age. I think there's such a close correlation with age, usually, with hearing problems, uh, that a lot of people who are getting older just see it as a marker of age, so they don't really want to admit to themselves that they may not be able to hear as well as they used to, and therefore they take a long time to go and get it tested and to get diagnosed and you know they'll continue to carry on as normal even though their spouse might be getting really frustrated with their lack of ability to hear and it tends to be their family and their wider circle who ends up as frustrated as them. It really plays into social isolation. Did you find that? How did you cope with that? There's a real difficulty, I think, in admitting it, partly because it's not just age. It's also seen as a kind of marker of stupidity. People think that you're kind of thick because you're slow on the uptake or you keep asking for repeats or you're three beats behind on the conversation or the joke. And I didn't like that. I find that kind of quite difficult to deal with, as I think a lot of people do. Isn't the technology getting better all the time? Yes, it is. And I am extremely grateful that I was born when I was and that I had the remedies that I did. I think the the digital 
all hearing aids that are coming out all the time are getting better and better. There are so many people who are crying out for a cure and it has such a huge impact on people's lives. What advice do you have for people going through this, most people who would be older? I think if you say to people, look, I can't hear very well, I have got hearing aids, but it really, really helps if you speak up, speak clearly and don't cover your mouth. With age, there will be other people in the same boat. Anyone who is in that position, then it's definitely a good idea to kind of to bring up the subject because they almost inevitably will find people who are in the same boat and just kind of longing to talk about it, but they kind of need somebody else to be the person to raise it. How did losing your hearing change your life from what it would have been otherwise? It made me a much, much more attentive listener, not just to what people are saying, but the way they say it, and also to sounds generally. I do my level best to appreciate what I've got and also to try and tell people that there is no stigma attached to it and that hearing is a glorious thing, but so is what you learn when you're deaf. That was Bella Bathurst, author of Sound, a memoir of hearing lost and found. I'm Libby Snymer, and this is the Zoomer Week in Review. Coming up... The iconic rocker known as Sting celebrates a birthday. You're listening to the Zoomer Week in Review, brought to you by CARP, a new vision of aging. Support CARP with your membership today. Visit carp.ca. Welcome back to the Zoomer Week in Review, all things Zoomer worldwide. I'm Libby Snymer. It's time for your International Arts Datebook. Tips for those of you who are jetting around the world. Here's Jane Brown. A new play about Gloria Steinem opens off-Broadway this month. Gloria, A Life is about the iconic feminist activist and features an all-female production and creative team. At 84, Steinem is still working for equality, but happy to see change taking place. The play opens October 18th at the Daryl Roth Theater in New York. An Ohio Art Museum is featuring a new exhibition of paintings by rocker John Mellencamp, who's known for his oil portraits and other works. John Mellencamp Expressionist runs until November 18th at the Butler Institute of American Art. It includes portraits and mixed-media pieces. John Mellencamp is currently touring Ontario with seven stops planned. In London, an African art fair featuring works from 43 galleries all over the world is on this week at Somerset House. Dubbed 154 London, the exhibit has become a leading voice in the global discussion on contemporary African art. On now at New York's Jewish Museum of Heritage, In Confidence, Holocaust history told by those who lived it. As you move through the exhibit, experience the Holocaust through personal reflections. It runs until January 31st. I'm Jane Brown, and that's the International Arts Datebook. This week, the iconic rocker, simply known as Sting, celebrated his 67th birthday. He was born Gordon Matthew Thomas Sumner on October 2, 1951, in Northumberland, England. He earned his famous nickname after his habit of wearing a black and yellow sweater with hooped stripes while he played with one of his earliest groups. In 1977, Sting moved from Newcastle, England to London, 
where he met up with drummer Stuart Copeland to form the police. They quickly became one of the world's most popular new wave rock groups. From 1978 to 1983, they had five chart-topping albums and won six Grammy Awards. Since then, Sting has gone on to have a very successful and diverse solo career. He's written music, done some acting, and has even created his own Broadway show. In February 2019, Sting will take the stage here in Toronto for the Canadian premiere of his critically acclaimed musical, The Last Ship. Right now, we'll travel back to Sting's time with the police and hear one of the group's many hit songs. Here is Every Breath You Take. Every Breath You Take. That was The Police with Every Breath You Take. Frontman Sting celebrated his 67th birthday this week. And that brings us to the end of this week's edition of the Zoomer Week in Review. I'm Libby Zneimer. Be sure to come back next week to stay up to date with all things Zoomer worldwide. You've been listening to the Zoomer Week in Review. Produced by MZ Media Limited. Executive producer, Moses Zneimer. Produced by Christine Ross, Michelle Saunders, Paul Thomas, and Andre Lowy. This has been an exclusive podcast of the Zoomer Week in Review, heard every Sunday at noon on Zoomer Radio. This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show.